Here before chapter one of Mark even ends, we have a couple of healings, in fact, several, and some good preaching by Jesus. But as you get to the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, you get a glimpse into the heart of the gospel through a couple of healings. It's the heart of the gospel in the gospel of Mark. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon, who's just begun our series in Mark. And boy, it is a fast-paced book, to say the least. There's a lot of elements here that we're gleaning and leaning into. Here's Pastor Chris with more. You'll notice here, Jesus is the one who took the initiative. He stretched out his hand, and he touched him. And then he said, I will be clean. I thought about that. One pastor said something that was really uh, beautiful, that the ceremonial laws gave way to the law of love. But even more so, he's the high priest. (laughs) Notice that emphasis, go show yourself to the priest according to the law of Moses. Here's the high priest. Here's the one with the power of an indestructible life and he has come to be the sin bearer. He, he's come to the defiled and, and, and who, the one who knew no sin, uh, Corinthians says, became sin for us. He's carrying this. This is an embrace. It's a gospel declaration of his open willingness to identify with us and take the guilt, take the shame, take the defilement. I'm willing. I'm willing to do that for you. That's what he's saying. And as soon as he said it, gone. If you've ever seen a leper in his end stages, I don't I mean the restoration must have been powerful to observe. A beautiful illustration of his gospel work, of his substitution. But here's the problem. Jesus, and it's a very emphatic statement here. He commands him sternly, I don't want you saying anything. It's really strong emphasis. You go to the priest. You know the reason for the silence by now. He had to move on from Capernaum to get away from the crowds because of the vast and overwhelming misunderstanding of his purpose and his mission. And now the text, it it doesn't leave us with the impression that the way this man came was jiving, you'll notice this, with an understanding of his need, his true need. In other words, something was wrong here. The emphasis is on his disobedience to what Jesus just said. And it's a glaring emphasis on his disobedience. He went out and he told everyone against the explicit command of the Lord to say nothing. So that now Jesus can no longer go to any cities. He is stuck now out in the desert. And you stop from something like that and you say, well, what, what, what just happened? Well, it's not just the problem of his fame. It's not just his fame. I can't help but think of the ten lepers in Luke. Remember? He cleansed ten of them at once. All of them were cleansed and he told this, you remember? And um, the puzzling statement that when they were all cleansed, One of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned 
and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his feet and giving, giving, give him thanks. And Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not found, uh, were not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? When one understood that he was healed, when one understood who this was and what he had done for him, he couldn't help but come back to the true high priest. Why go to a lesser priest? The demonstration of healing power was saying something else. And he knew it. He knew it. In our text, Mark is saying, look at his identification with sinners and their mis- missing and their misunderstanding of that. But this has opened the door to preach and multitudes now have come to him in every direction and this is where I want to get tonight. He comes back to Capernaum. He again enters Peter's house. Immediately, so many have entered uh, together in the house that there is no room, not even at the door. This place is packed out. Fire marshals would be going crazy. Mark says he was preaching the word to them. As his preaching occurs, as his preaching goes on, these four men are carrying this paralytic. Everyone's ready for this. I mean, this is really a climactic event so far in Mark's gospel. Let's be honest. I'm sure they liked his preaching, but to be sure, they were there for the signs. This had always been the problem in his, in his ministry. They had never seen anything like this before. Keep in mind now, the scribes are sitting there in verse 6. They are observing it. They've heard about this boy. They've, their dander is up about him. They've come to see the new guy in town. They want to verify this miracle worker. The deputies are there. Everyone has gathered now for the great show. Imagine this for a moment. Loads of people have come. All the people are there now for a new event. Jesus is preaching. Last time he preached, there was the showdown with the demon back in Capernaum. Now all of a sudden, he's preaching in Peter's house. And all of a sudden, as he's preaching, you could, you, you could feel the clay pieces starting to drop down on you. What a distraction in the middle of the sermon again. This guy's used to sermon distractions now, right? The Lord is used to him on his earthly walk. The demons have cried out, distracting his preaching. And now this. All of a sudden, the roof is pulled back and everyone looks up. The crowd is looking all up and there is a man being lowered down on a mat front and center right in front of Jesus. And everyone's saying, aha, here we go. This is what we're after. Mark has something different to emphasize. Verse 5. When he saw their faith, This should be a big moment in Mark's gospel. We haven't had that yet. First time. This way. Faith. He's all on faith. He is just witness faith. The man said nothing, by the way. The man is bound up. The man's disease is so bad, he can't speak. He can't walk. He can't come. All Jesus can do, all Jesus does here is look right into that man's heart, which is so profound, isn't it? And he sees his faith. He sees their belief. He looks into his heart. 
and in compassion says, Son, forgiven are your sins. In one moment in time, Jesus just blotted out this man's sins forever and forgave him. He let them go as far as the east is from the west. Now if you're the crowd that day, you're sitting there, you're standing there, you've not appreciated why he's come, what he's doing. What a letdown. I, I mean, you can't validate that. Nor can you just say that. <laughs> is that all he's going to do? Is that all he's going to do? I, I mean, how do you validate that? How, how do you validate how in the world can I see that his sins are forgiven? And Mark gives us some indication that this caused a great stir in the house. I mean, we read the scribes are sitting there and Jesus is reading hearts. He's reading all hearts. They don't even have to say a word. He looks into their hearts and it records that. It's, it's remarkable. You know this is the Son of God by the way it's recorded. He is reading hearts. The scribes are sitting there saying, Blasphemy! No one can do that except God. Boy, did they get that right. I mean, you really have come to the point where many have made this observation that this was either a madman or this was God, right? Somebody who's not truly God could never run around saying that <laughs> without committing blasphemy. I don't have the authority and power in myself to go around and tell you that I have wiped out your sins. I, I mean, think about that. Do you see the problem here? That is worthy of stoning at this point. Now you see where Mark has taken you. We just got to the heart of Jesus' ministry. We just got to the heart of the gospel. It took a bit to get here, but none of the healing, none of the casting out of demons mattered anything without Jesus coming to remedy the severe alienation between God and man. None of it mattered. The ultimate need was forgiveness. And Jesus was after that. <clears throat> oh, that's so important to say. Forgiving sins is what drove the Son of God in His ministry. When it says repent and believe the gospel, Mark just showed you what it looks like. Repent and believe in the remission of sins. Forgiveness, letting go. One of my favorite statements uh, of, of John Calvin, the favorite statement, is this. Many other things are undoubtedly contained in the gospel, but the principal object which God intends to accomplish by it is to receive men into favor by not imputing their sins. If, therefore, we wish to show that we are faithful ministers of the gospel, we must give our most earnest attention to this subject. For the chief point of difference between the gospel and all other heathen philosophy lies in this, that the gospel makes the salvation of men to consist in the forgiveness of sins through free grace. That's the drive. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. What is Christianity without that? (laughs) Just another heathen philosophy. What is Jesus to you without forgiveness? Now, Now here's what troubles me. The people had not gathered to Jesus for this reason. They didn't even understand they needed this. I'm burdened by that. And yet this was the principal reason he came and wanted to preach, was to accomplish that. To make known that purpose, to make known that need. What were all the people all about? Personal renovation. (laughs) That's what they all wanted. So earthly, so tied to this world, so interested in what they wanted Jesus to be for them, uh, to unleash in their present whatever their agendas were, their kingdom agenda that they had for Jesus, whatever was to make their life validated, to make them feel good, to make them strong. Are we so different? The forgiveness of sins often is not relevant when we've created a fantasy world of what we want to be in this life. I have to be honest, years ago I heard an exam question of a candidate going into ministry and the question was when you're at the mall and you're, I was thinking about going in the ministry at this time so I watched these exams and when you're at the mall and you see people mulling around and walking around, what do you see? And and the candidate says, I don't know how to answer that. And I, I remember thinking to myself, dead men walking. It's Ezekiel. It's a valley of dry bones. And and you go into the ministry to preach forgiveness of sins by free grace. This is the principal aim. This is the principal object of gospel ministry. Do you know that's been the hardest thing to hold on to? I've been astonished at this in 12 years. It's the hardest thing to hold on to. I look at endless reform debates about the law. Endless debates over this and that. It's like we have no priority anymore. It's like we've lost the priority. All because people want to be practical. (laughs) Really? Where's the joy to hear, son, forgiven are your sins? Do you understand the value? Do you understand the cost of that? Do you understand your greatest need? I wonder, you see, how many people in the church today are like the people of Jesus' day. This is really not the reason they come to church. We could have a million reasons people come to church. They come for tradition's sake. They come for parents. They come because they feel compelled. And yet inside they're always yearning for something more, something better. They're never quite satisfied ever with a ministry of reconciliation. That just is not really the priority of why they come to church. They don't really want that. I mean, I was listening to a pastor this last week who was describing his problem as a baby boomer And he observed that in the New York Times a few years back, there was an article about baby boomers. And in the article, it said, baby boomers hit another milestone of self-absorption, nursing some disappointment over how their lives are turning out. They feel self-absorbed. The self-absorbed feel less self-fulfilled and thus are racked with self-pity. The New York Times. That's the church in America. Do you think people self-absorbed, full of self-pity, finding no self-fulfillment, dissatisfied with how their lives are going, want to hear from Jesus, forgiven are your sins? That offers nothing that they can see. 
It offers them nothing that exciting for the moment, they think. It offers them no power. That requires to live by faith when we've all been taught in the U.S. to live by sight. It, it grieves me that God in His tender mercies and His loving kindness, knowing we were all on the fast track to hell, put His own Son here to undergo the fiercest wrath, to make known to us a way of escape, to set us free from bondage, to daily help us in our weakness and distress because of sin, constantly inviting us to the throne of grace to come be cleansed from all unrighteousness because of sin. And we yawn, full of apathy. I'm just as guilty. We act like it's no big thing. Maybe the greatest offense to the resurrected Christ is an apathetic and careless attitude to his excruciating sorrow to come and endure your sin, which we call gospel. But let it be seen here that on his mind, thesis after the thesis in Mark, was a call to repentance and faith in the gospel. This is what is built up at the end of chapter 1 as we head into chapter 2 reaching a climax already in Mark's Gospel to show you what the Gospel is in the Gospel of Mark. To understand the purpose and drive of His entire presence here on earth and the ushering forth of His kingdom was shown in the forgiveness of your sins. What think ye about your sins? And what think ye about forgiveness? And what think ye about the Christ? If that be accomplished, you're guaranteed all of your other problems are solved in the resurrection. If that is accomplished, all your other problems are solved in the resurrection. But he is after faith. Faith in the heart to believe in his person and work. So in front of them all, knowing many are there uninterested in this purpose for which he came, knowing many have accused him of blasphemy in their hearts, he asks a simple question, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? In other words, I know you think it's easy for me just to cheaply say, forgiven are your sins. I know that's how you view what I'm doing here. I know that's your attitude to my mission. I know that's what you think. Oh, oh, oh. You roll your eyes saying in your hearts, yeah, right. Who can validate that? So I'll tell you what, I'll do the greater thing, what you think is greater in your eyes. I'll do that for you. I'm going to heal him right now. And when you see him get up, you know no man can do what I'm about to do. But when you see him get up, you should realize this is God who is doing this and has the authority to forgive sins. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority to do this. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, immediately, picked up his bed, went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like that. It was all validated. He just did it to prove he has the authority to forgive. It's sad that, you know, demons recognized 
Him for who He was and what He had come to do. Look at the struggle of the people. They, they didn't understand that what they thought was some flippant, cheap forgiveness message was actually required something much greater than they would ever understand. It required the excruciating death of the Son of God where the wrath would be poured on His body and soul. A perfect life and then the payment to be made. That was a hard thing to accomplish. I'm not sure how many people got it that day, but I know one did. Imagine the joy that filled this man right then and there to know that he was forgiven forever, to know that the weight of sin that had laid heavy upon him, that had brought him down, that had burdened him, having the guilt of being carried by his friends. Imagine in a moment he had been comforted by the tender words of the good shepherd, take courage, son, son, filial love. Son, forgiven are your sins. And in a moment it was all released. Gone forever. And that man's with the Lord today. Notice Jesus didn't stop him from speaking. Why? I'm not going to go talk about his legs. He's going to go tell everyone the wonderful things that God had done for him in forgiving his sins. I met a man today. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He gave me the greatest treasure anyone could ever give. Himself. And He forgave me. That is what Jesus desires to accomplish for you. May joy inexpressible and full of glory, as Peter says, may that joy fill your hearts in gratitude that He has solved your greatest problem. All you ever needed, all that you ever will need, was accomplished by Him fully and completely in His life, death, and resurrection. And today He says, whosoever believes in Him, Son, on His authority, forgiven are your sins. Let's pray. How wonderful, Lord. How shallow we are. Forgive us for being so shallow. Forgive us for being dull to this announcement as if there's something greater. (laughs) You've loved us with an everlasting love shown that you gave your best. This was his great desire when he walked on this earth. Forgive us our sins so that we might live in the joy of this comfort. I pray that everyone here tonight would leave so thankful to you. Believing, trusting, resting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners and knowing this week in the fruits of election, the fruits of what you've done, the gift of true faith, believing that our sins are all forgiven by free grace. Because of Christ, may that never, that principal object, that principal drive of the ministry may never be lost here. May your people always be full of joy to receive. And may that extend to the ends of the earth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. And our time together studying God's Word, it is our hope and prayer. And you come away from our time together encouraged in that time of study. 
If you have questions or comments about the radio program, your own walk with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Now, you can reach out to us at our website, agradio.org. Again, that's agradio.org. You'll find past programs that you can review at your convenience, as well as other platforms you can sign up and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Those links are all, again, at our website, agradio.org. You're also welcome to reach out to us by phone. That number is 888-504-8805. That's 888-504-8805. Abounding Grace Radio is a listener-supported ministry. Uh, Simply put, You are a vital, important cog in this wheel of ministry, if you will. Through your financial and prayerful support, we are able to continue this radio ministry here on the station you're listening to right now. Would you prayerfully consider getting involved financially and, most importantly, prayerfully? And then let us know. Again, you can give us a call at 888-504-504. 8805 or visit agradio.org and drop us a note there. And then come back and join us next time as our studies will continue here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.